listener production. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. That was amazing. Thank you. Josh Nyland is reinventing how Sydney ciders buy, cook and eat fish. He's created a fish butchery in an old hair salon, which he's turned into a unique customer experience. St Peter's Restaurant and Fish Butchery, already well established, and now a new project, Charcoal Fish, doing brilliantly well. And we hear on the grapevine, Fish Butchery number two is well on the way and due to turn up in Waterloo on a much grander scale. He's worked with fishermen from all over the country and he's teaching his customers to think about the whole fish, not just the fish fillets that they're familiar with as his fish butchery experience brings the whole community more than just a menu. Josh, thanks for joining me. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, Gary. Obviously, you must be thinking about things a little differently after kind of challenging your customer base, I suppose, with the fish butchery. Can you kind of wrap that up for us and tell us where that came from and what it means? Yeah, I think really to summarise it, it came from a conversation really late at night with a a fairly incoherent conversation with Stephen Hodges, (laughs) who was at Fish Face in Darlinghurst. And it was probably one o'clock in the morning and I was cleaning the exhaust as you do and and he was making a pot of brulees and and I was saying to him, I'm finding it difficult, and this was at 18, I said I was finding it difficult to come up with the best possible garnish for specific fish that were coming through the doors because every day we'd have, you know, a dozen different species come in. So I felt pretty spoilt at that time to be interacting with this huge array of species that I don't feel many people had the privilege of doing. And I wanted to do the best I could, obviously, to showcase my own talents, being an egotistical 18-year-old, <laughs> um, but also to make sure that I did Stephen's brand justice as well. So he said to me, again, in a very you know ranty way that he did, he goes, why don't you think of tuna like a piece of beef? Um, because I'm sure you've cooked a lot of beef in your life. And and why don't you think of swordfish more like a pig? Because I'm sure you could, you know, roast a piece of pork pretty easily. Uh, and then I kind of squirreled it away because it didn't feel, you know, like it was a complete conversation. But I just found that really fascinating. And that was the introductory to dry aging, charcuterie, um, and then just completely thinking of fish more as meat. What's the easiest sell? What do you never have a problem? It would be a bit like saying to the butcher, what's an easy sell? The easiest sell in terms of giving somebody something that is very uncomfortable if they were to see the raw product previously to then just putting it in their mouth is our cheeseburger, our double yellowfin tuna cheeseburger, because, again, you throw the word cheeseburger out into the world and everybody thinks it's, you know, wow, it's delicious. But that's carrying the 30 to 40% of tuna that would inevitably end up in the bin. You get something that looks like a beautiful Wagyu dark beef patty uh, and you grill it over charcoal and it's the best thing ever. So that's a really easy sell. <laughs> it's certainly interesting how even when you talk to people in a meat context that, you know, what a sausage is and what a, you know, like what a terrine is and, you know, people often actually don't want to know, you know. Yeah. I think well, the Frankfurt, case in point. Um, and, and, you know, we always used to get said that, you know, everything from the, the snouts and the tails yeah. and everything in between. So yeah. to take attention from the butcher, like I can remember my mum walking into a butcher shop and saying, G'day, Tom, what are we having for dinner? And then he would say, well, we've just made some sausages. Yeah. And it's like, great, let's get half a dozen sausages. And then the following week, you'd go and get corned beef. And then the following week, you know, you'd get something else. And the romance of that conversation not only spoke of the season, but it spoke of the labor. And it brings generosity and value to the product. And we need to see fish as a luxury food. Uh, it can't be seen as a commodity. But when you talk to it as a fishmonger, 
you're talking about somebody that deals and trades in a commodity, whereas a butcher is always the dressing and preparation in readiness to be sold. And it's selling confidence as well as the product. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's generations of value-add, whereas fish doesn't seem yeah. to have enjoyed the same history. And Josh, what can people expect when they walk into the shop, into the fish butchery? I don't know. It's a little bit overwhelming. There's quite a, it's quite a corridor to get to the front where you purchase fish. So it, in the beginning, I mean, unfortunately, it's a hair salon. So um, the, the room got divided up in a whole lot of here's where you get cut, here's your foils, here's, you know, and so we needed to really strip the whole place out. And that left us with a really long, you know, alleyway almost. And what we did was we positioned a marble counter right in the middle of the room. Like, I mean, it's 13 metres of marble. So it's kind of like it's theatrical um, for just the grandeur of it. And we, we put, you know, our team around that marble counter. They will have a plethora of different fish from all over the country on top of that bench that they'll be processing from, you know, scaling the fish with a knife, cutting the scales off to uh, gutting and wiping the fish and sorting organs. And, you know, it's a it's a scene out of Dexter. Um, but <laughs> as well as that, there is no ice. There is no smell of fish. There is no ammonia odors. Um, there's a couple of screens there where, where people can have a look at a great takeaway menu that we do. Uh, and there's uh, a stand-up dry aging cabinet where we've got a number of of our charcuteries. You might be lucky to see a moonfish prosciutto or some swordfish belly bacon. There's trout salami. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of your, your senses are overwhelmed that you are actually working walking into a fish shop when actually it feels a little bit more like a, a very fancy butchery. That's brilliant. But yeah, I think people get caught walking past fish butchery as well, looking at that charcuterie cabinet. They see all the salamis hanging in the window and you always get double takes. You always get the walk past and look, and then they walk back and then they do a little ma- a matrix then... black cat and walk yeah, back past again. You guys saw that right. guy with the beard. <laughs> 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 and Josh, let's wind the clock back because obviously you're a wealth of information. But where did it all start? I mean, where did the where did you fall in love with food? I mean, you get asked this question a lot, and it's it's challenging to answer because I. I didn't grow up with anybody pasta, making pasta on top of a bench and me sitting getting flour in my hair. <laughs> like, it, it wasn't that. Maybe I got flour in my hair with my grandma making scones, but... Um, That's I, legit. You can say yeah, that. I don't that mind is, that. Yeah. My, my, I think it took me back to when I was eight, I was diagnosed with a Wilms tumour. I had cancer as a kid. Um, I had 18 months of chemotherapy. So traumatic, busy time for my mum and dad and, you know, only now being a father of four children that you put into perspective how how incredibly challenging that would have been, especially being small business owners that they were as well. But mum would drive me down to Newcastle uh, every third day or second day and and I would get my three hours worth of chemo and then she'd drive me home. She would make me lunch every time, whether it was a hot pie that she'd make or whether it was a sandwich or if it was a salad, whatever it might have been, she would take me home and cook me lunch. And she would sit with me for half an hour that it took and that was stopping her day. Um, but I just saw that. And every time I talk about this story, I get goosebumps and kind of get a bit sad. But it is the most generous thing that you can do for another person. Yeah. And to me, um, that that kind of gesture that she offered uh, was that probably sparked the, the thing in me that loved food so much that it could be such a special gesture um, to, to another person. And that's why my kitchens are all open, uh, be it at Fish Butchery or Charcoal Fish. There's full transparency, not only of the product, but also so that I can have a look at you and enjoy what we've done <laughs> and what we've put the work in for. And I think every chef would say that as well. But yeah. um, that, that's, that's probably where, where the fascination of food came from. Yeah, it's a, it's a, 
the, I'm sure, a, a bundle of beautiful recollections. I'm just going to ste- steer you quickly onto, you know, a community, yeah. you know, and, and particularly around you where the restaurant is mm. and the fish butchery and the response from the community then when you started yeah. and now. Yeah, with fish butchery coming along, that was very purposefully developed for our interests only. In the beginning, it was we had run out of room, we'd run out of hooks to hang fish on, and we needed something else. And then it just turned into, well, what standard of fish does Paddington have available to them? And there wasn't really anything. So uh, we were supported really well by our regulars. And those regulars were ones that I was feeding when I was 18 years old at Fish Face at Darlinghurst. So I was still tapping into the same pool of um, people. So I was spoilt to have an audience that made the restaurant and the butchery feel more mature than what it was. Uh, And then to do this Mr. Nyland at home product that we did throughout lockdown um, was a way not only to keep our staff employed uh, and to keep me mentally engaged because I, I feel like that was the challenge for a lot of chefs, not only that bills were hard to pay, but, you know, there was no finish line each day. There was no six o'clock adrenaline to get you through the evening. Um, and creatively, it sparked a lot of, you know, things in my mind. It helped me write Take One Fish and it was a way of coming into people's living rooms every night and then to have them come back to St. Peter two times now that we've come in and out of lockdown, um, they've all said to me, can you please turn that back on because it gave us so much joy and happiness. And that, you know, that then made me think about mum and and I was just like, well, this is, that's a wonderful thing and this is, this is the infinite game that we play. It's trying to create a business um, that is for the community, whether it's here in Paddington and Sydney uh, or whether it's for a global audience of chefs or fishmongers seeking a greater standard or greater inspiration for how they can affect change. Tell you what, you're doing some amazing stuff and I'm sure it brings you, along with that extended family of yours, an enormous amount of joy to see people enjoy fish, you know, at a different level than when you grew up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's nice to um, put some John Dorries on a rotisserie rather than popping tins of uh, salmon onto white bread. (laughs) Very spoiled kids. They're old 70s dinner parties of smoked mussels out of a tin and, you know, all of that horrible stuff. thanks. There you go. Josh Nyland, thank you so much for popping into the studio. Thank you. Hope to feed you soon. Listener.